0: Okay, here we go. This time we really are going to go, Mary. Um, questions about anything? You okay? You should have a new handout, number three. So we're kind of reading through this. Um, the two sides to Jesus' ministry. So you kind of remember where we've been now. Um, this great invitation to be part of Jesus' family. As Jesus' family, you get to uh, you get to talk into his ear. You can even make requests. You can even make requests for your friends. You know, what you need, and then intercession for your friends. And um, once you give it to Jesus, He cares for it, and you don't have to worry about it. But you can remind Him occasionally that you've got something on His calendar. Uh, and then, um, then when you say, I, "I don't really remember," you know what? It, I, I, I'm a little stymied today. I don't quite know what to say. Then you say the Lord's Prayer. So the disciples come and say, "How do we pray?" And He says, "Here's a good prayer." And um, you know, the cool thing is, is that He says, "You know, my Father, our Father," He includes you as one of the family. And um, then some, some, a few stories about um, how your prayers get shaped, that um, what you want is there for you, and he only does his best for you. And if you simply pray, he'll answer, and then, you know, the sign thing, he'll give you what you ask, or something better. And it's okay to fail in your prayers. Uh, in fact, if you want to make somebody really guilty, um, <laughs> you ask them how their prayer life is. I'm always astounded. I, it's always, as a pastor, this hasn't happened for a while, which is probably a measure of your spiritual maturity, but every once in a while somebody will come out of church, shake my hand and say, way to go, Pastor, you really gave them hell. And then uh, there's always two parts to that. One is that it was them who got the hell. Yeah, you gave them hell. And then the other part of it is is that it was hell that was given. So, you know, there's always plenty to repent of in all ways, but it's kind of nice to... You know, be that, and that's a sort of that's somebody who marks your failures. If, you know, way to go Pastor, you told everybody there was a failure, and now, as the confessions say, the law makes a Pharisee. I'm better than everybody else, or it also terrifies people. And often, if you say to people how your prayer is going, you often terrify them because, um, you know, we struggle with our prayers so difficult because prayer is this engagement against the forces of darkness, and some days darkness wins which is why that book is so nice, because that book doesn't make you feel like a failure. I have five of those in my office that I just remember that I have in my office. Who needs a book yet? One, two, will you please, rem- I will forget before 10.30, but I will go upstairs and get you a book as soon as we're done, if you'll remind me, because I will forget. In fact, I laid them right the on top of my books, and I moved them over so I could get to my, it's stupid, 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 stupid. It is, and I, well, I'm in my, I'm up to, remember I ordered 50 and then 60, and I'm in the 70 or something. This seems to be a big hit. Um, it's really well yes. It is. It's very nice. I and mean, there's, there's segments that, again, they are encouragement cards. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely right. They're, they're, just get, they're, they're good. Yeah, they are really good. It's nice when somebody, you know, somebody, it's nice to bump into somebody who does something really well and then gives it to you as a gift. It's just great. This couldn't be better. Yeah, it is short. It's doable. So good for you. And, and, and that goes for your Lenten disciplines, whatever your disciplines may, uh, you know, may have been. Whatever you're trying to do or not do during Lent, um, you will fail at it. The, the, the kind of the genius of being a Christian is you have to you have to get the law and gospel and the right thing. So you have to take, you have to recognize your failures, but realize that your failures are not unto death. That's the important thing. So you're going to fail. I mean, you're going to fail at things. You can't use that as an excuse for not doing your best. You always do your best. Doing your best, you're going to fail. But your failures are unto to death. And this was, um, you know, I think we talked about this last week. Did we not talk about this? That, that um, the primary question is whether or not God is going to destroy you. Did I have that conversation in here? We did have that conversation in here. So when you can answer that question that God does not mean to destroy me, then you can receive everything as a gift and a blessing. It's the primary question when pain or evil enters your life, The first, the the primary question, the first question, the question that needs to be answered is, does God intend to destroy me, yes or no? The answer is no, he doesn't intend to destroy you, which means then you can receive whatever comes, whatever difficulty is challenged as a purification, as an opportunity for growth, as a challenge to exercise divine virtue, all the ways that scriptures talk. So you do, I mean, I think it's a very important thing to be able to remember that every challenge that comes. Whatever it is, it's your kids, it's your spouse, it's your job, it's your church, it's your prayer life, it's your failures. Every challenge is the opportunity to exercise divine virtue. And what it is to be a Christian is to exercise divine virtue in the world so you push back the darkness. The exercise of being a Christian is to push back the darkness. That's what Jesus is meant to do. It's part of the reason on Good Friday that everything goes dark and then it becomes light again that the darkness isn't forever and it doesn't in the end win the day. So that's, that's your life. So we have to be able to talk about your prayer life, just the way we talk about the good works that you do, just the way that we talk about other things. But we have to talk about that in a way that doesn't make you say, it's so difficult for me that I quit, but also in a way that you can always learn from people. I mean, you open that book, you learn from people about, you know, those are people who gave up those, that's the Warren Buffett of their era, saying, "I'm giving everything away. I'm going to go live in a monastery." That's the kind of commitment. And when you do that, they say about monks, you know, they have three periods in their life. They have a period where uh, they're full of enthusiasm, and joy, and commitment when they first join. But they say of monks, and they recognize this of, of spiritual advisors, abbots recognize this that in middle, in the middle of their life, in their forty or fifties. They turn around and say, "What have I done? You know, what have I given up? What have I lost?" And um, a good spiritual advisor can say, "You know, now you tend the course." And then they often, then uh, the third period is when you get old enough to come back to the notion that it was already worth it. But for but and that can happen in normal Christians too. In this middle part, you can actually say. There's often this great, you know, Jesus talks about this when he talks about the parable of the sower, you sprout up, and then there are challenges that come, and across the challenges people often wonder about the faith, give up the faith, ask themselves, is it really worth it? It even happens to people who make that sort of commitment. But eventually, if you stay the course, and frankly, you're going to stay the course with one thing or another. It's, (laughs) you know, if you're not going to believe in Christ, you're going to believe in something else or not believe, which is to believe. You're believing in something. Um, so the question is which course it is that you're staying. And eventually you come through that and you say, you know, well, that was, um, that was the right thing or that was worth it. But it's very difficult to see that in real time, which is why you belong to a community. Make sense? So that's as far as we've been now. So this should only be by way of encouragement. It shouldn't be by way of um, making you feel bad about your life. Okay? Should be, be making, so Jesus has two sides to his ministry. Um, and this is the working with Jesus in prayer. There's a private side to Jesus, and there's a public side to Jesus. Or there's a hidden side to Jesus, and then there is um, his doing of good works in the world. So what happens in each of those? If you were just thinking about what's the private side, what's the public side, what would you say? If you are just going off the top of your head, you know Jesus' stories, you don't went to Sunday school, what would you say? Absolutely. Perfectly done now with the praying um, there 's often um, another component you want to take a stab at what that is it 's not only the praying, which is Jesus sort of being active and talking what 's the other side of the what 's the other side of that listening side. the listening side, which we classically distinguish as meditation and prayer, and so meditation is the listening side, extraordinarily quiet and um, Yeah, right. Exactly. Yes, exactly right. All three of you. And even, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but on Good Friday, the Word of God has no more words to say. Right? He speaks, and then he's done speaking. It's this very interesting thing that happens on Good Friday, that the Word actually goes silent. Well, In the silence, there is some abandonment. There's a huge abandonment component where he says, you know, why are you doing this to me? Why have you abandoned me? It's actually technically, why have you damned me? Um, But then the words, it is finished, is not um, in defeat. It's actually in victory. And then the word is silent. You know, everything that's needed to be said has been said. Everything that's needed to be done has been done. Uh, you have this very strange thing that happens, and, and then the very interesting triduum—the three days—you know—of what happens in the middle. So there's a double component to this: um, the listening side, you know, listening to scriptures, listening to teaching, listening to your baptism, listening to Eucharist, you know, listening to listening to what God is up to, and that generally happens in a private way, although it can happen in a public way. But you have to make some time for um, for silence for quiet, for listening. And then you also need to make some private time for speaking. Those should both be very, very safe times, the listening time and the speaking time. But then, you know, once that's done, you know, Jesus had a very public side. And uh, his public side is all over the place. So, this text, John 14, 12 to 14, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me, that's you, will do the works that I do. He will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Now, that's very curious. I will do whatever you ask me in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask for anything, I will do it. Now, there's a couple of things um, that is going on there. Um, first, we presume that uh, Jesus you know, doesn't speak of his own accord. Jesus is always listening to the Father. He says, you know, I, I say what the Father tells me to say and I do what the Father asks me to do. But then the interesting thing is that um, you are all called to do that too. Now this is John 14. John 15 through 17 is the high priestly prayer and then everything goes pretty hard toward the cross after that. So this is kind of the wrap-up of Jesus' public saying and doing. He's done His listening, He's done His talking, He's done His good works, and now He, what He's delivered from the Father, He, what He's received from the Father, He now delivers to all of you. And you remember that's exactly the word that He used. He uses mm-hmm. two words, Greek words, per- paradidomai and paralimbano, they're technical words for rabbinical teaching. So when he gives the Lord's Supper, for example, what he gets from the Father, so the Father actually hands it, puts it into his hands, and now you see Jesus taking what the Father gave him, and he puts that into your hands as a mark of, of, of love and um, respect. And so um, this very interesting uh, observation from Kleinig that uh, we're called to do the work of God along with Jesus. So you actually don't watch Jesus do the work. You actually work with Jesus. You actually work um, with the Father. Faith, you know, look at this. Faith means you will do the works that I do. Well, Jesus works with the Father. You work with the Father. And you do that through his name in prayer. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it for you. Okay? So I think I told you I was. You still okay? Is that all okay? So um, I was shocked. You know, I have a very good friend who um, experienced some tragedy some number of years ago, decades. Who I considered to be a very strong Christian, who said to me, "Since that tragedy, I haven't prayed." Which gave me great. Now prayed. Goes. This person goes to church. Every week. But what this person said to me was, I sense this, sense this trouble. I haven't uttered a personal prayer. Decades. Which then gave me great concern um, for that person's soul. Not completely, because they are in the community. But um, it certainly shows that there was a dent that didn't get fixed. And that can happen to us mean things, life is very hard, which is a great reason why we shouldn't be hard on each other. Your life is very hard, it comes to get you. You know, you don't have to you don't have to find pain. Pain will come find you. Okay? It'll come find you. But I was quite concerned about that because um Jesus is pretty clear here that if you have faith you're going to pray. Now now you've got to put everything else in ta- in context. It's it's not, you know, all the other things you know, you're going to fail at it, it's not going to be easy some days, um, some days it'll be too easy, you know, some days you're not going to pay attention, but if you have faith, um, you're going to say your prayers. Now, if you were me, so let's just, just just play you be me, which now the vicar has come to say, I call the vicar into my office, so I say, hey, it's time to play you be me. He goes, I really hate this game. <laughs> <sighs> But basically what I do is, I mean, for the vicars, what I do is I say, okay, here's what's on my email, or this is the phone call I got, or here's what we're up against. And I just say, here's all the facts. What are you going to do if you were the pastor? So we, we always play you be me. It's like, I hate this game. I'm like, well, <laughs> this is the rest of your life, so buck up. Uh, <laughs> so here it comes. But if you were me, well, I, I just am curious what you would say to this person or how would you would handle this. What would you say? What would you do? Got any ideas? Please. Right. But they make for a while. Right, yeah. Yeah, right. you got to get it out. You gotta get it out of our system. Yeah, it's good advice. Actually, in this particular case, actually, I think what you said is extraordinarily important. So we'll just push on because we're we'll playing you be me. In this particular case, this person has verbalized. Clearly, to the point of painfulness, what it, you know um, and the tragedy was so great that it just I, I sense that it's such an abandonment that to get up and sort of put each foot in front of another is a sheer act of will, which is something, I guess, to be respected, you know. But there, it just, it's a thing that seems to be too big. And you can, you can imagine the, the things that fall. There's not that many things that fall into these particular categories. This is like, you know, there are some. It's loss of a child, murder, um, you know, some sort of sexual infidelities. You know, that you can kind of catch the range of things that, you know, blow people up in such a way that they... Um, so I, but part of it is, I mean, what would you... So I take, I take your point, which is you've got to have them talk. And then also, part of in the talking, I realize there's just this thing that seems like so utterly unjust and unresolved that it blocks the joyful kindness. Go ahead. What if that moment you just said a prayer on his hand? I think that would be welcome. That, so there's not... It's, yeah, it's not antagonism or anger. But um, that was so that wouldn't be brushed away. But it also, yeah, I'm kind of thinking about this. Yeah, right. Yes, please. Yeah. Sometimes the joy of a family that sort of, right, right. Yeah, right. So there is, there's hopeful things. You know, like still going to church is a hopeful thing. But sometimes, I mean, when we close off whole areas of our life, it's like people who go through their whole life and never pick up a scriptures and pick up a Bible and read it, right? Or some people, yeah, they may hear it in the, in the, and it's important to hear it with all your friends and family, but, yeah, that can be, that can, be, that can happen too. The people can just go through the motion. But sometimes going through the motions will redeem you too, in the sense that it'll bring you back. There'll be that day when you kind of wake up and, yeah, right. So that's what family and friends are good for, right? Yeah. I mean, there is some value to the Christ, Christmas and Easter people coming along. You get a couple swings out of a year. You have to, you know. There's always this thing. What's that? Take them all you, can. you take them while you can. Yeah. No, you get you get two cuts out them a year, so you might as well make the best of it. Yeah, still, yeah. Externally, externally, you would say this is the phrase "faithful person." Yeah, right. If people looked at, it, they would say that's a faithful person. Yeah. Which is some sort of some sort of faith or hold in itself. So maybe it's it's too much at this point to say. Uh, and you do have to count. You know, your prayers in church are your prayers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and and I think the thing is, I mean, you have this too. You have friends that are close enough. You don't even think about what you're talking about. You talk about anything, right? I mean, you got a range of friends who are like this, so that's kind of in that category. This would be an odd conversation, or it was just a shocker, you know. So, yes, please. I'm sorry. Right. Right yeah or or to that particular community, because sometimes you know, despite all that we say, we have particular expectations for people, don't we, yeah, right, sometimes a different a different group or right yeah, right yeah, I think that's that's fair. it's pretty hard to uh we do kind of get locked into sometimes our position in a particular community or church and that's who we are and you can't be anything but that and, and then see part of that then is it doesn't allow people room to fail you know or or be weak or be damaged or be different yes right so that's very very important to do that so i'm part of this is i'm going to come right to you yep I, um part of this is is so you part of what you can observe here is kind of the kind of church you want to be because you need to be a church where um, people can, now all the things we said fail, be different, be in pain, be weak some days, strong other days. We need to be that kind of church where we don't... see. And I'm not talking about an excuse for bad behavior. I'm talking about people healing up from the normal push and pull of regular life, right? Things happen to all of us. I mean, all you got to, you know, you just got to hang around with people. Stuff happens to you, right? Every, everybody's got something going on in their family or their lives. Everybody does people who pretend they don't, you just have to sit down over coffee for about eight minutes. You, if you worked at it, you could find it in seven, you know. But I mean, everybody's got something going on. So the church can't be a place where we pretend like nothing's going on. And, you know, maybe sometimes we can't get all the way there because just of who we are in the collection and maybe collection of people. Maybe we're not mm-hmm. big enough or good enough at any particular point. People do have to go outside. So that could happen. Karen. Did your father's... Okay, so um, let me just ask one more question and I'll kind of say what you said, I think. Did your, your father's parents grow up in the church? Were your father's parents in the church? I don't know. Would you have expected your father to go to church? Because if parents don't go, usually kids don't go. I thought what you said is because of your father's circumstance, because of the wars, your father never really found a place in the church. So he didn't go early and he didn't go late, right? But... The thing is, is, so this is just, uh, here's the thing, it takes an awful lot of courage for somebody to walk through the doors of a church. I mean, can you imagine the courage it would take to kind of walk through the door here on a Sunday morning? You all walk through easily, it's no big deal, this is your, these are your people, right? It's your home, that's actually very well said. But for somebody like your dad, as a young man or an older man, to just walk through the door and say, hey, I'm here, Right? If somebody does that in your home, you dial nine one one. Yeah. So it's very hard when people just walk into your house. I mean, that's that's partly why. And I was thinking, I've been thinking about this for a, a couple of months now. Kind of the next thing that, what's really interesting is people are starting to bring people to church. So, for example, your friend's not here today, but one is you brought your friend a couple of times, and I know she has circumstances can't always come. But when Ann brought her friend, you were, you acted like. She was part of the gang, you see. And that was extraordinarily important. I think, I hope she felt that. Yes, she yeah, so, um, you know, that was extraordinarily important that she, but she would have never walked in the door by herself, never. It's too hard. Right, yeah. Well, and partly the church, partly the way you want to construct a church is you want to have enough of those, and I'm not talking about programs, but you want enough of those safe spots where... You could bring a friend and they fit and whatever particular thing they've got either gets fixed there or they get bumped into the next place where it gets fixed. Right? Because it's very hard. So anyway, kind of what I'm thinking about is kind of the next thing, you know, over the next year or two. We've had a lot of, you know, moving and settling in and figuring things out and blah, blah, blah. So right now we're kind of, I can just tell you kind of what we're thinking about as pastors and we talk to the elders. Right now we're trying to just, we just want everybody to get tamped down figure out where they sit, how we move, where you belong, get everything kind of straightened up. But that, that's only temporary, right? Until you all get settled. And then it's up to you to say to your friends who are in pain, we can probably get you some help for that, right? But it's up to the rest of you to be the kind of people who, when somebody walks through the door, you, you, know, you have to mob them. But it would be nice if you know, three or four people came up and said, I haven't met you, welcome to St. John." You know, we're happy here. We love you. We'll take care of you. Can we, you know, that's, well, I mean, you've done it too with, you know, with bringing Sheba along, for example. And that's been an extraordinarily, I think, positive experience for her. People have been extraordinarily kind to her. Um, And a lot of you have done it. And that's the way people get help in the church. It's not because you put a sign out, you know, and people walk through the door. It's too hard. That's too hard for people. People come because of you. People come to a church because of you, because you say... You know, this was very helpful for me. Does that make sense? So in some ways, we've shifted, you know, over the last 10 years, we've kind of shifted to, hey, we're going to do this thing and we're going to get this space and blah, blah, blah. Guess what? The space is ready and you're ready. So now the space is nice. Now the people are nice. Now things are kind of ordered. Now we're sort of, you know, things are kind of working. So you should just begin to, I mean, this is a little bit of an aside, but you need to begin to click your, you know, like you need to be looking at something different, which is to say... You need to be able to articulate about why you're comfortable here. And when you see a friend who needs a little something, be able to say, hey, you could come too, and you could be comfortable here too. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Right. How in the world we got there all the way from I can't pray, but it was just <laughs> but as you know, everything is connected, well, right? Yes, that's right. Thank you very much. Yeah, and that was the particular need that she uh she has. So um <laughs> Yeah, Donna. Yeah, of course. Well, Donna, if you would call confession conversation over a beer. (laughs) Don't reveal anymore. You know the story. So I'm trying to to fuzzy up the story as much as I can, but... Yeah, okay, so... uh... Yeah, if it was a—that's re- actually—if it was a real confession. No, this is just. No, I understand. No, it wasn't. It wasn't said in the. It wasn't. No, you know what was frightening about it? It was said very matter. It was said very matter-of-factly. That was and that was the nervous part. It was, so it wasn't a, It wasn't even said with a. Um, or regret. It was. It was said very much matter-of-factly, as is. This has been the state of my life for 20 years. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a, I, I, um, I. I probably said something real pastoral, like that's shocking, <laughs> which isn't exactly quoting scripture. To uh, no, I actually kind of remember what I said. I didn't say anything at first, and then I do remember saying something like. Um, I think I might. You have to remember now, I'm talking to somebody I've known a long time, okay, and who's a friend. It's not even like talking to you all because, um, you know, it's just as, I said something like, um, I think I said, I I said, how can that that fit together um, with the life of faith or something like that? Or I don't understand how that could fit together with faith actually later within i I did speak again to that person later, um, yeah, right, well, I think, yeah, right, I think that I think it's go behind. sorry, be, you were lost word for words because yeah, right okay, so so to, yeah, there are, sure, I mean, the one that nothing nothing happens outside the Lord's hands, you know, which is all over um You know, my sheep know my voice, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Basically, I mean, the answer is, the broad answer is, nobody can snatch one of my children out of my hands. However, a couple of things. So we um, often seek to explain. And this is very difficult, because for pastors, too, when there's a tragedy and you go see people, what's the first thing they say to you? Why did this happen? Why did this happen, right? Why did this? And they actually expect, often, for you to put up a PowerPoint and sort of say, okay, well, it was like this, and this, you know, this button, and then Christmas in 1997 went wrong, and you can see the effects of that, and then, you know, Mom drank too much. But, I mean, people do, they do have this, we have this cause-and-effect mentality. Sometimes it can be explained. I mean, sometimes it can be explained. But here's the other side, real honestly sometimes evil is a great mystery. There, there is a mystery to evil. That doesn't mean it's not um, painful. It also doesn't mean it's not boring. It also doesn't mean that it's beyond our... There is a point where even that sort of evil, the, the damage that a suicide does in all directions, where it stops. There is a point actually where it stops. But the exact, you know, to explain it with precision, really doesn't account for, you know, how evil twists and turns through the world and has its own effects, or the why and how. Or the the why and how of it. Yes, you can't often explain it. Luther once said of a suicide, and this is, you know, this is mystifying how Luther could say this, and he wrote it in a letter. We have the letter. Oh, and then we could go 400 years in our prayer book without a prayer for suicides and say people can't be buried from the church. He said, to, he said you, know, um, you know, this was always the way things were done. A suicide had to be buried outside the church. Yeah, right. And finally in the last, not this one, but the previous one, there finally was a prayer, finally for a prayer indi- for suicides, indicating that pastors were free to come back into the church. So, I mean, that took a long time. Luther once said at the point of the suicide, he said, they said, why did you do this? He said, he didn't do it. He said, the devil got hold of, uh, the devil got hold of his hand and killed him. Yeah, kind of yeah. So, so at some point, I mean, at suicide, at some point what happens is people, they basically can't see another way out, you know? You're just trying to make things stop in kind of whatever painful, evil, mystery is going on there. But to try to explain... I mean, I can't even explain what happens in my own family anymore, you know? Let alone, you know, you know yeah, I mean, why, can't there, why aren't there four people sitting at dinner? I have no idea, you know? How can I explain, you know, these really tragic things? Now, what happens is then, and this is actually, actually a lot of wisdom over here and over here, which is tragedy happens. You can't really explain it. I mean, you can explain a tornado. You see the hot wind and the cold wind. It sinks down. It swirls around like that water in a pop bottle. And then, you know, right? So you can explain it, but that doesn't do anybody any good, right? That doesn't do anybody good. They want to know why a boat, you know, came through the front of their bakery and blew the place up. That's what they want to know. So, you don't try to explain it. You let them say all that they need to say. You make sure that you get it all the way out in a safe place. And then you kind of come back around. and, And the ultimate thing for you is... That's not bigger than Christ's death on the cross. I mean, people sometimes, especially little kids, will say to you, why does Jesus have to die on the cross? One of the good reasons for that is that um, if he would have had an easy death, you would go around saying, yeah, but this death was a lot harder than his death. There's hardly a worse death than being beaten up as an innocent guy and hung naked up in the Middle Eastern sun and having people taunt you and poke you and, you know be humiliated and scorned. You can't sort of imagine, if you were thinking of ways to kill people, it would be very difficult to imagine something worse than crucifixion. So, you can, so the point of that is to say, whatever evil that we suffer, it's never a greater evil than that. So Jesus kind of, this is kind of what we did one a couple of Sundays ago with the transfiguration, that between the transfiguration, the transfiguration and the cross are like bookends on all of life. And everything happens between this very high point of the transfiguration and every low point of the crucifixion. But all of your life is bundled up inside that life. There's nothing that happens. You have no experience that is worse than the crucifixion or better than transfiguration. So part of what that means is that God is bundled up, and this is what actually you can say, that God has bundled up all of your life into his life, into the life of his son, even your relative who committed suicide. So we don't say, as people did for a very long time, people who commit suicide go straight to hell. Well, you know, I don't know that I've ever said anybody went straight to hell. That's, that's actually not our, you know, that's not our, that's not our call. Thank you very much. I mean, you'd have, you have to have some inside baseball. You've got you to have something about... Yes, right. Right. So you got to be able to, you got to see hearts in order to make that call. It's very easy to say that people were saved because they give us all kinds of data. It's very difficult to say that people are damned. I, that's just a uh, very strange thing. Carol. Right. That's right. And the fact that the person still goes to church faithfully, week by week, is also a good sign toward that. You can see how this was confusing for me, of course. Because I had great respect for this person. So to sort of say that this... And actually to be able to identify why, since this event, I haven't prayed. And I'm like, that's 20 years ago. And they're like, that's right, you know? I, I guess I my oh my God. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what the Yonkers think prayer is about, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it is, of a, certain, of, a certain, of a certain kind. Yes, it is. Think of all those kids praying on Facebook today. Look, you've changed my whole. Yeah. You know, and part of it is how well you know people and how you can, how you can go after them. So for, even for Donna's example, it's a very different example than this one back here, than, your, than yours, so, you know. Uh, just a couple of minutes, just on a higher note, okay? Um, just from this one verse. Um, what, I guess what I, you know, and we'll sort of tuck this away and come back to it next week, but, um, one of the great things is that Jesus calls you to do the work of God with him for the Father. So this great cooperative effort. And, um, when Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it, um, what he's basically saying is you can ask him for favors. Isn't this a great thing? You know, Jesus says, actually, um, I don't know, do you have trouble asking people for favors? Some people don't. I mean, some people can ask for all kinds of favors, right? Some people can't. It's very difficult. For some people, for some of you kind of, sort of very tight German Lutheran, we all stick to our own and we, you know. Oh, maybe, I'm sorry, I thought I was in a different class. Yeah. (coughs) Yeah, for some of you, you know, it's very difficult, both for you. That's not to say you aren't actually, actually many of you are very generous. Actually, I would guess in this group or in this congregation or of your ilk, many of you are much better at giving than receiving. Would you say that? Yeah, it's very difficult. What's that? It's our training. Yes, it is. It's our, we are, yes, that's exactly right, isn't it? We are trained well, that's right. So, you know, one of the things to do is... um, you know, but this, here's Jesus saying to you, I mean, this is, a, you know, command is a bit sharp, but it's certainly an invitation. You can ask for favors. You can ask things in my name. So you should be asking for favors, not only for yourself, but for your kids, for your family, for people you don't know, people who suffer, who you just bumped into, you know. Blah, blah, blah. You can, isn't that a nice thing? So he says, you know, you can ask for favors, and we'll work together on this. And sometimes I'm going to give you your own work to do, which is actually my work. So it kind of works like this. The Father gives work to the Son, and then the Son gives work to you. Isn't that great? Yes, please. I love that banner. I love that banner, banner. yes. I think it's a genius banner. I drive by it all the time going home. I always think to myself, plus it's beautiful, too. The gold against the black, and it's big. It's on the side of St. Paul's. You drive drive home past St. Paul today. It's just on the side of the church. God's work, our hands. Isn't that what it says? And I always look at it and I'm like, that's genius, whoever figured that out. Yeah. Very, very nice. I'm sorry. Yes, Marge? Yes, sorry. Yes, of course. Could be. Um, Could be. Yeah, it could be anger at the person who visited this evil on the family. It could be anger at God. Right. It could be. Yeah, one one can't. Um, yeah, it does. Uh, see, what's interesting is both to say the prayer and to live in forgiveness are both conscious acts, aren't they? So the 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 key here, we'll play you be me. The key would be. To be and Donna, you actually pose this very well. The key is to be able to say just the thing, or do just the thing, that would so draw, lure, console, invite that person almost to react in the way that you you talked about. Almost you get a reaction, almost an unconscious reaction that sort of breaks the ice, right? So you kind of put those three things together. So the you know the real the real pastoral care or the care of a friend would be to be able to figure out the thing that could be said that would push them over the edge. Because frankly, once you get them going again, they're probably going to go, right? It's like if you're really angry with somebody and then you bump into them, you know, in line at the hot dog stand and then you accidentally exchange pleasantries before you remember that you were supposed to be really mad at them, right? (laughs) This can happen to a person, you know, right? Right. And then suddenly you're like, oh no, now I've got, you've got this cognitive dissonance because you were nice to somebody you were supposed to be hating and you've been hating them for years, and now what are you going to do? Right? <laughs> so there is some wisdom in that. Now you can pray for them, but of course what we're trying to do is talk about how to prompt people to pray. And I guess, I guess at the end of the day, you can't control anybody else, and it is about you, but you know, we want you to come to your prayers. Yes, please. I don't know that it was, uh, you know, I'm just gonna flip this off. Um, just.